This morning we will be looking at the first half of Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Luke 4, 1 through 13, a familiar story to many of us. I would assume that for many of you, this is a story that you have heard from your youngest days in Sunday school classes. But I would ask that you pay special attention to the Word of God as it is written and hear God Himself communicate to you through His Word. Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were over, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to you. Excuse me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would teach us from your word. That you would show to us, O Lord the great glory, power, and wisdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. This we ask, Lord, in the name of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't need to inform most of you, but I will remind you that society is changing. And one way in which we see this is the way in which we deal with temptation. You may remember that a generation or two ago, there was a saying that went around with sin and temptation. When 
Someone, especially a young person, had done something wrong and was called before an authority, mom or dad or a principal or a teacher, and they were confronted with their error, with their sin. They would look up and with a wry smile say, the devil made me do it. As if somehow that were a get-out-of-jail-free card. Well, time went on and that seemed not to be sufficient. It seemed not to distance us from the consequences of our sin. And in a generation that followed, we ceased to even talk about sin and temptation. When someone had done something wrong, they would look and say, well, you don't understand. I have this disease. It's, it's a medical problem. I can't help myself. You need to help me because I've done bad things. And now I fear we've even moved beyond there because now we don't talk about sin and temptation. We don't even talk about bad things being a disease. Now we celebrate sin as something that is normal and good. And in our passage this morning, our Lord Jesus Christ cuts to the heart of the matter. Because whether we claim the devil made us do it, or we think that a disease is the result of our actions, or we think really somehow the standards are wrong, and we really are very good. In our heart of hearts, we know that we are sinners. We know this world isn't perfect. We know we hurt people because we see people hurt us. And so, this morning in Luke chapter 4, we see the value of God's Word and a commitment to trusting in the Lord in dealing with all sorts of temptations that come to us. This morning, we will see our Lord being tempted by Satan himself, and we will see Him first being tempted, then second being tried, and then third being found true. Tempted, tried, and true. Well, as we begin this chapter, we cannot forget what has gone before. That is chapter 3. There is a context for this temptation that comes to Jesus. We must understand that this is real. This is not a game. This is not something that Jesus is merely going through the motions. The context is that Jesus has just been affirmed by the Father. You recall that in the time of His baptism, it was announced from the heavens, You are my beloved Son. In you, I am well pleased. And then you will recall that this One in whom God is pleased was proven to be a real and genuine human being. A person. A man, in some respects, just like we are. If he was cut, he would bleed. If he didn't eat, he would get hungry. If he stayed up too late, he'd be tired. In an important respect, just like you and me. 
And, and this is important for us to understand. You see, I fear sometimes we take a split view of Jesus. And when we come to a passage like Luke 4, we focus exclusively on His deity. And we say, oh, well, this was a piece of cake for Jesus. He's God after all. And then in another passage, when it suits us, we focus exclusively on His humanity. When in reality, Jesus is fully God and fully man, and His humanity is important and real for us today. You see, Jesus is not only really human. He's an accessible human. He is someone that we can understand after a fashion. That is, after all, one of the reasons He became human. So we could understand who He was. So that we could see the similarities between us and Jesus. He was, the Bible tells us, made like us for a purpose. He was made like us so that only in that way He could deal with our sin. Hebrews chapter 2 says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So what that means, as you come to this text this morning, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you are relying upon Him for salvation and forgiveness of sins, you must understand that He is a real and true man. You cannot hide that away as you come to the temptations. This was a real temptation for Jesus because He had to depend upon God. And that's not easy, is it? Think of when you've moved across country or started a new school or looked for a job when you didn't have one. You see, depending on God to answer our needs, to get us out of our situations, to forgive us for the mistakes and sins that we have made that have put us in bad situations... It's not easy. And this incident gives it to us in clear colors. Jesus is hungry. Now, for many of you, by about the time it gets ready to roll out into the lobby and hit the snacks, your stomachs are grumbling. You skipped breakfast or ate too early. It's been two or three hours since you've eaten. Maybe for a few of you, the teachers of Sunday school, you'll go right to your class and you will go all the way through Sunday school and you will get home and you will be famished, ready for lunch. Now imagine if lunch wasn't there, nor dinner, nor tomorrow, nor Tuesday. Even if what the text is saying is that Jesus only ate the bare minimum that was available to him in the desert for 40 days, you can imagine how hard it would be to rely on God. Remember that Jesus is fully man like you and me. Hebrews tells us that he himself suffered when he was tempted. And because of that, He is able to help those who are being tempted. This is real suffering 
for Jesus. No, it is not the cross, but it is not a day at Disney World. It is a time of difficulty and challenge. We must remember that He is man. Now, you will say, well, but he is God as well, isn't he? And this is true. And in the context of this temptation, we need not think that somehow God the Father was cosmically rolling the dice, hoping against hope that Jesus didn't fail and sin. I say to you that this was a real temptation because Jesus was really man. But I also say to you, that it is not possible that Jesus would fail and sin. Because He is God. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus will never fail you because He is God. But you say, well, then it's not a real temptation. Yes, it is. He's really man. And you say, I don't understand. And the best that I can do is to give you a picture in your mind. If I gave you a length of rope and I asked you to bend it, Almost all of you would volunteer and would easily bend it. That's like the human nature of Christ. But if I took a steel bar about this long and I wrapped that rope around the bar and then I said, now bend the rope, I don't think I would get many volunteers. Because you would know that in order to bend the rope, you would have to bend the steel also. Such it is with Jesus. He is always fully God. And always fully man. And so this temptation is real. But it is also one that Jesus is really and always capable of meeting. He is God. And this temptation serves a purpose. It is a purposeful temptation. It is not something that simply happened. This is not for us to have in our mind that somehow, as Luke is telling this story, in the film of our minds, we see in white letters across the bottom of the screen, meanwhile, as Jesus was walking in the park, Satan came up to him. No. For look, what does our text say? And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. You see, Jesus, as He goes out, is full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of the Spirit from His birth. And the Spirit came down in His baptism in a special way to equip Him for the ministry that He would have. The Lord was not trying to see if Jesus was somehow up to this temptation on His own. He was filled with the Spirit. That raises a good question then for you and for me. If God the Father did not send the Lord Jesus Christ into temptation on His own, what makes you think you can face temptation on your own? You need the Spirit, do you not? You see, when we think we've got it, we know what we're doing, God. Go help somebody else that needs a little bit more assistance. That is when we are dangling at the edge of the cliff. You see, Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit and He was sent specifically into this wilderness by the Father, by the Spirit. 
This was not just a a simple temptation of personality. This was the beginning of the great conflict with Satan. For he was not just full of the Spirit, he was led by the Spirit. The Spirit intentionally brought him to this place knowing that he would be tempted. Jesus is exactly where God wants him. And there are times when this will be true of you and of me as well. I think sometimes the most dangerous thing that we can say as believers to each other or to people who do not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ, that simple phrase, you know, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Sometimes it includes cancer. Sometimes poverty. Sometimes hurricanes and earthquakes. You see, God sometimes has us exactly where He wants us to be in trials and suffering and challenges. Some suffering comes our way through our own sinful actions. And we deserve it, as it were. But there are other times in which we look up at the heavens and we say, Why, God? Why did you give me that spot on my lung? Why, God, why did my child have to go through this? And the answer is, child, because it's my will, because I'm wise, because I'm good, because I love you. You won't know all of the details now, but God is truly in charge of our lives. You see, this is the very first assault on the gates of hell by Jesus. He is exactly where God wants him to be. This is like, you remember those old cowboy war movies where the cavalry would go out and they would test the enemy. They would go out in a sortie. And they would see how strong the enemy would be and which ways they would plan their attacks. And that's what Jesus is doing here. The final victorious battle will occur on the cross, but this is, mistake it not, an attack upon the kingdom of Satan and the gates of hell. It's purposeful what Jesus is doing. He is out in the wilderness for a reason. He gets no support from anyone else. No one can look at this text and say, yeah, some God Jesus is, he had to be saved by the apostle Peter. Oh, he had to get advice from Zechariah. No, no, no. Our Lord is completely by himself and he is completely sufficient. He is ready for the task. This task requires intense preparation and intense concentration. It it brings to our mind another wilderness, doesn't it? When the people of Israel were leaving Egypt and wandered in the wilderness. They were not up. For the task. This is a place that is the anti-Eden, if you will. If Eden was a lush garden of safety and delights, this is a dry, barren, dangerous place. Jesus will go to the anti-Eden to bring us back to glory. This is a real and purposeful temptation. 
Well, Jesus then, after a very short period of time, is tried by Satan. There are three attacks that Satan makes, three great temptations. And the first we see in verse 3. If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And the temptation that comes to Jesus is, well, provide for yourself. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, Jesus. Don't you know that you're capable? There is an attack that Satan is making, and he makes at the most vulnerable time for Jesus. He's been fasting for 40 days. And Satan doesn't come up to him and say, you know, would you like a better vehicle? He doesn't say to him, would you like a better house? He says, don't you want something to eat? This tells us something about our enemy. You see, he's smart. He bides his time. He knows when to attack. He comes at you when you're sleepy and have been up too late. He comes at you when you're hungry, when you're stressed out. Have you ever noticed that your sin level goes up when those things happen? He comes at you at the time of life that you are most vulnerable. There is a reason young people, that you are tempted to sin against authority at the very time when both you and your parents are confused about the level of authority because you're not quite an adult, but certainly not a child. What does it mean? What can I do? Where can I go? And Satan sees an opening and he pounces. We have to recognize this, that we have vulnerabilities and Satan seeks them out. Satan says to Jesus, well, if you're the Son of God, and let's just, let's just assume you are, is the way he says it. He doesn't directly attack Jesus' sonship. And he gives what seems to be a very simple and reasonable request. You haven't eaten in a long time. Get some food. You could make those stones bread, couldn't you? If you really are the Son of God. Why don't you go ahead and do it? But what's at risk here? Seems like an innocent kind of request. Jesus needs to eat. After all, we might fill in the blanks and say God would want him to eat. The Father wants him to live a perfect life and to yet go to the cross. The Father doesn't want him to starve to death in the wilderness. Jesus, why don't you go ahead and take care of this right now? Why suffer? But you see, it's not really a simple request. Because you see, when Satan comes after you and says things like, oh, come on, you could stay out an extra half an hour past your curfew. Really, it's unreasonable. Oh, listen, why don't you just fudge a little bit on the tax form? The government doesn't deserve your money anyway. Oh, you know what? You can lie to your husband. It'll just make things shorter. It's for his own good. You see, these things are not as simple as they seem. The attack here from Satan is really, is God really good? It's the same attack he made in Eden. You know, if God were good, Jesus, you wouldn't be starving. You wouldn't even have to make stones bread. There'd be bread all over the place. 
There'd be bread and vegetables and barbecue chicken and beef. God isn't that good, is he? And then he has a second line of attack here. You know, can you really trust God? He's let you go 40 days, really, without food. How much longer do you think you can hold on? Do you think God's forgotten about you? You better take things into your own hands. And you know what's implicit also in this? A nagging question. Does God really love you? You know, if He loved you, He would provide for you. If He loved you, you wouldn't be suffering. If He loved you, you'd be floating on a couch with pillows and a breeze. I'm not sure He really loves you. Do you think so? You see, Satan is trying to get Jesus to act in a way that denies the fundamental relationship He has with the Father. This is how He attacks you as well. And so what does Jesus do? Well, what Jesus does is He answers him in verse 4. It is written. Do not skip over that. Jesus begins with the Scriptures. He doesn't argue with Satan. He doesn't try and empathize with Satan. He doesn't try to understand where Satan might be coming from. He starts on the bedrock and the foundation of the Bible. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And what Jesus is doing here is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And God, that is, humbled you, that is Israel, and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, Jesus is not saying bread is unimportant, I only need the Bible. What he's saying is the Bible tells me that the word of God will not fail. And that is my source of life, and God gives me everything else I need in addition to His Bible. You see, He draws from a lesson. The Israelites complained and whined and moaned that they were going to starve, and God sent them bread from heaven. Kind of takes the wind out of Satan's sails, don't you think? There's something else here that's very interesting that we might miss. This text comes from the book of Deuteronomy. So does the next two statements that Jesus makes. Now, Deuteronomy is not on everybody's first go-to reading list of books of the Bible. It's not John. It's not Romans. It's not Genesis. It's not the Psalms. It's one of those books that usually we have to be reading through the Bible in a year to read. But there's something interesting about this, that Jesus uses the Bible to defend himself against the attacks of Satan, and that he specifically uses Deuteronomy. Because you know the Bible is under attack, isn't it? We see this everywhere. The Bible is not true. It was made up by people. This phenomenon of attacking the Bible with great vigor began in the 18th and 19th centuries. 
And it really took up official steam in the 19th century. That is, the universities tried to do everything they could to divide up the Bible and to say it wasn't true and to say that it was a figment of our imagination that was trying to prove a point. It was a critical movement, as it were. And many, many books were attacked. It was said that there were two Isaiahs. It was said that Peter did not write his epistles and Jude was not a proper Bible book. But do you know what was the very first book that they attacked? It was Deuteronomy. Nineteen centuries later, Jesus knew that the attack on the Bible would begin in earnest with the words that he used from the book of Deuteronomy. Do you believe the Bible is true today? Do you trust God's Word to give you all that you need to know for life and godliness? Jesus tells you to trust the Bible. Jesus tells you He trusts the Bible. Don't let anyone ever uproot your confidence in God's Word. Because if you do, you will fail in temptation and you will live a life of misery and confusion and deceit. There's a reason why Jesus goes right to Deuteronomy. Then a second temptation comes upon our Lord. Satan comes to him and he says, let me show you all of these kingdoms in the world. And he takes him up to the very top of the temple. If you can imagine, up way high in the air at the corner of the roof overlooking a cliff that goes 450 feet down to the ground. It's said that anyone just looking out over that area would get dizzy. And Satan shows him a panoply of wonder, a fantasy, a vision, of power and pomp and circumstance. And he says, all of this can be yours. This tells us something else about Satan. You see, we think, I think at times, that Satan is a mean, nasty, nasty-looking, animal-like being in a red suit with a tail and horns, and we can spot him a mile away. The Bible tells us that's not so. It tells us that Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light. And so you have to understand that temptations do not come to you about things that smell of rotten eggs and look like death warmed over. Temptation comes to you with things that look unbelievable. Like chocolate cake. Or like a shiny new smartphone. Or like a sleek car. That's how temptation comes to us. Satan knows. Again, he is smart and he attacks us at that point. He shows this to our Lord. And he also is the master of the half-truth. You see, Satan, even in the garden, does not out and out lie. He twists the truth so there's just enough truth that we can rationalize to ourselves. You know, he's got a good point there. I never thought of it that way. I think maybe I'm going to go with what he says. You see, this is what happens. This is how Satan attacks you on issues of sexual purity. He says, now really, have you thought about it this way? 
if you thought about all the, the care and lovingness that that would show. Oh, I know that the Bible says one thing, but really, does the Bible mean that down deep at its core? You see, that's what he's doing here to our Lord. See, Jesus knew he was promised rule over all these kingdoms, right? But there was a price. And you see, what Satan says is you can have all of this and you can skip the price. The free lunch really is free, Satan says. You deserve this. Why shouldn't you have it now? That's happened to you this week, hasn't it? Something has come up. You thought about a promotion at work. You watched somebody drive by in a car. You've seen somebody build an addition on their house. And you wonder, why can't I have that now? Why do I need to wait? You see, that's where Satan makes his attack. You don't need to suffer, Satan says. God's not worth serving. Why don't you just serve me and I'll give you all of this. And the only thing you have to do is this little teeny tiny little itsy bitsy little thing. Bow down and worship me. What's at risk there? Well, it's denying the plan for the universe, not just of the Father, but of the Son and of the Spirit, how they had gathered together and in before time began and eternity passed, they had determined to redeem a people. And the Father said, I will send you. And the Son said, I will go. And the Spirit said, I will apply this salvation to a people. And Satan is telling Jesus, well, forget about them. Forget the plan. Take the easy route. Take the shortcut. You've been on a shortcut, haven't you? You can even have these kind of shortcuts with GPS. You go, and you're sure if you just go this way, it'll work. This happened to me with GPS. I was going to go visit someone, and I put it in, in my GPS, and I looked, and this was the, there were two ways to go, and the short way was the way I picked. There's no reason you don't go the short way. And I went and I drove and I was feeling very happy with myself till I came up to that road and that road was a solid gate. No entrance. Ooh. That's why somebody would go the longer way. Because you can't get there the short way. You see, this is what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to take the shortcut to happiness where no happiness is found. He wants you to go take the shortcut to meaning where there is no meaning found. He wants you to burn your bridges. He wants you to disobey your parents. Flout your husband. Put down your wife. Exasperate your children. He wants you to do all of that in the name of something that is good and easy. There are no shortcuts in life. The universe is the way that God has made it. Jesus answers him yet again. He says, it is written. It is written that you shall only worship the Lord your God and only serve Him forever. And here he is quoting Deuteronomy 6 and verse 13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by Him His name you shall swear. 
And what Jesus says here is, it is only God that I will serve. The question then comes to you. Where does God rank for you? Will you give up a hobby for God? Will you give up money for God? Will you give up things you long for and desire for God? Whom will you serve? Jesus makes it clear that the only one who is worthy to be served is the Lord, your God. That is how He can put to rest that temptation. There is then a third temptation and attack. And Satan comes now. He's starting to think he figures it out. Twice he's gone at Jesus. And Jesus comes at him with the sword of the Spirit. He's coming at him with Bible verses. And Satan says, aha, I'm going to go at him with a Bible verse. And he says, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. Because after all, it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. Oh, take another one. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Take that, Jesus. What do you think of that Bible? Now, notice that Satan is not above using the Bible. It is not a lie. Because those words are are true from the Scriptures. They come from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. And after all, at first, it does sound kind of good, doesn't it? It sounds like being sold out for Jesus. Going out on a limb for Jesus. Having real faith. Really living large for God. Trusting God. I'm going to throw myself off the rooftop. You know what happens when you do that? You hit the ground. Because it's really not about faith. It's really about a lack of faith. Because you see, what Satan wants... Jesus to do is to doubt God so much that he puts him to the test that God will have to come to his rescue. And we can do this, can we not? There's a apocryphal story about someone who was a godly man and who prayed long and hard and one season a flood came to his town and the waters rose and he got up on top of the roof of his house And someone came by in a motorboat and they said, come on down, we've got to get to higher ground. He said, no, 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 I'm praying God's going to take care of me. And then a little bit longer, someone came by in a helicopter and they let down a ladder and they said, grab the rope, we've got to take you away to higher ground. And he said, no, 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 I'm going to pray, God will take care of me. And he drowned. And he spoke to the Lord and he said, Lord, I prayed to you. Why wouldn't you take care of me? And God said, I sent a boat and a helicopter. You didn't listen to me. You put me to the test. You see, God doesn't work according to our thoughts, according to our abilities. This is foolishness. Jesus answers him and he says from Deuteronomy 6, You shall not put your Lord to the test. And the passage that he quotes from is from the incident at Massa when the Israelites said, we have no water, we're going to die of thirst. And God said, Moses, strike the rock and give them water. 
And then God says to them, do you honestly think I would have taken you out from slavery in Egypt and brought you all the way across and here simply to forget about you and let you die of thirst? But you see, that's how we are at times, aren't we? We forget the goodness of God. Jesus was tempted and he was tried, but he was found finally true. He resisted the devil. And as we look at this passage, we can see this in our own lives. You see, we can expect Satan's attacks. The Bible tells us that the servant is not above his master. And if Jesus will be tempted, we will be tempted as well. And so we must be prepared for these temptations. How can we be prepared? Well, we begin by following Jesus. By studying God's Word. By having it hidden within our hearts. By knowing the stories of God's provision and the promises that He has kept. And if we do this, we can know that we can defeat the devil just as Jesus has by the power of the Spirit of God. James tells us to submit ourselves to God. And then we can resist the devil. And He will Flee from you. If we stand firm upon God's word, we can resist the devil. And he will flee from us. If you look at this passage, does Jesus have anything at his disposal that you do not? Can you find the book of Deuteronomy? Then you've got it. Do you know the stories of the Exodus? then you have it. There was nothing supernatural that Jesus did. He simply stood upon the Word of God. And when He does this, He shows us that He has redeemed us and that He is the new Adam. Israel failed in the wilderness, didn't they? Jesus didn't. Adam failed in the lush garden of Eden. In Eden, Adam fell to temptation and lost everything. Jesus goes out into the anti-Eden and gets everything back for us. He has obeyed where we have not and Adam has not. Jesus has done what He has promised to do. This is a first Step and test of your faith. To trust Jesus. He can turn the worst of situations to God's glory. He does it here, doesn't He? He takes words of temptation and sin from Satan. Jesus, take, eat, eat those stones, eat the bread. And he turns them into words of salvation, does he not? When he opens up his feast. And in the Lord's Supper he says, Christian, take, eat. I have accomplished it. This is the God that we serve. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The one who has defeated temptation, not just for himself, but for you and for me. Let's pray.